Today on the Matt Wall Show, the Super Bowl features racially segregated national anthems. This is being done to end racism, supposedly, but it only causes and encourages what it pretends to be fighting against. Also, the UFO invasion is finally underway. It's an exciting time for alien enthusiasts like myself, though some are speculating that perhaps there is another explanation for the sudden epidemic of mysterious aircraft in our skies. We'll review all the possibilities today. Plus, the worst ecological disaster in American history is currently unfolding in Ohio, but you probably haven't heard much, if anything, about it. Why is that? We'll talk about all that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You find yourself saying you can rely on the government? Well, of course you don't say that. Uh, the time to start planning for your retirement is now. The U.S. blew through $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in December, and still the White House refuses to reduce spending. With that amount of money, you could buy homes for almost everyone in the United States. Uh, our economy is in trouble. It's time to start thinking about your investments and your future. You need to consider diversifying into gold with Birch Gold. Birch Gold is a leading dealer of physical precious metals in the U.S. Their dynamic team of former wealth managers, financial advisors, and commodity brokers can help you diversify your portfolio into gold and silver. They'll even show you how to convert your IRA or 401k into an IRA and precious metals. Text Walsh to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold, and then talk to one of their precious metal specialists. With your retirement at stake, you want to be confident in the financial services companies that uh, you work with, including who you choose for purchasing physical precious metals. Text Walsh to 989898 and protect your savings with gold today. Well, it has finally happened. The alien invasion has begun. Now, I know that some of you have been um, engaging in absurd and unsubstantiated conspiracy theories, coming up with ridiculous speculations about how the unidentified crafts being shot down in our airspace are somehow not space aliens from a distant galaxy. But I, for one, will not demean myself or insult your intelligence or my own with any wild conjectures like that. We must assume that they are space aliens until proven otherwise. That's the most reasonable thing to do right now. And uh, if it's not the most reasonable, then it is at least the most fun. All I know is that I have waited my whole life for this moment, and I'm not going to let anyone take it away from me now. I would also like to state for the record, at the top, in case our intergalactic visitors are listening to podcasts as they hover in our skies and plan their invasion, that I have been a big supporter of aliens for a long time. You can check my social media feeds, aliens, and my podcast catalog to confirm this. I understand that you guys will want to incinerate much of the human race. That's totally reasonable. Frankly, I would do the same if I was in your position. But you should also know that some of us down here have been very pro-alien, and, and it, would be, it would not be fair to lump us all together. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus here. I'm certainly not trying to betray my own species. I wouldn't do that. I'm just saying that if you want a list of human beings who have been especially disrespectful to you, I'd be happy to provide it for your reference. Two names that could go right on that list, by the way, work here at The Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro and Michael Knowles, very anti-alien. In fact, I hate to say it, but every host here at The Daily Wire has been viciously anti-alien except for me. I don't want anyone to get hurt, okay? I don't want that. But if people are going to get hurt, you should hurt them first. That's all I'm trying to say. But before we discuss the UFO invasion in any more detail, I want to begin the show with something that is a far greater priority to most Americans, and that would be, of course, the Super Bowl. Indeed, I have, uh, I have no doubt that if the aliens had actually landed and emerged from their spaceships last night, for all we know, they did. Because if the whole event was captured live on camera, it still would not have even trended on Twitter because most Americans would care more about the game. And this is the hardest pill for me to swallow as an alien enthusiast, that the, all of the sci-fi films got it wrong because they all assumed that however the alien invasion plays out, it would at least be like a really big deal. That's what all the sci-fi writers and films, they all just assumed that at least. Maybe we get enslaved and killed by aliens, maybe we fight them, and be, but no matter what happens, everyone agreed that it, it would, like everyone would care at least that there are aliens here. But that's not how it actually has played out. You know, they didn't take into account, the sci-fi writers, our terminally distracted and frivolous culture that can't pay attention to anything or care about anything for more than 18 minutes at a time. In reality, aliens could come here and actually begin leveling our cities and enslaving mankind, and we would get bored with the story in less than a week. Because as long as we still have electricity and fast food and the internet and our streaming services— I'm not sure the average modern Western per person would really care whether intergalactic space invaders conquer us or not. In fairness to those people, on the other hand, space alien leadership 
couldn't possibly be worse than our current leadership. And there are a lot of reasons to think it'd probably be better. So maybe they would have a point there. With all that said, there was one moment during the Super Bowl broadcast that uh, is, it's maybe not more important than aliens, but it is worth reflecting on, uh, even in light of our impending planetary doom. A moment that would probably be very confusing for our extra solar visitors if they happen to turn on the game. Uh, the NFL continued last night its alleged efforts to fight racism in the United States. Efforts that for the past several seasons, up to and including the game last night, has included writing the phrase end racism in huge letters directly on the field. And many people expected that this would be enough. We imagine that all the people of the world would see the phrase end racism written in the end zone, and they would all say, wow, the NFL is right. We should end racism. And then racism would be ended and global peace and harmony would commence. After all, racism only exists in the world because no one has ever suggested that it shouldn't exist. So we simply needed the, the NFL to go, hey, what if we cut out that racism stuff? And everyone would respond, oh, so we shouldn't be racist? Jeez, okay, well, we hadn't thought of that. And that would be it. At least that's what we thought. But somehow this strategy has proven insufficient. And so it has added, uh, the NFL has added a, another prong to their anti-racist battle plan. And yet again, last night, the Super Bowl began with the performance of two national anthems. There's the regular national anthem, the one written by Francis Scott Key after he watched British ships lay siege to Fort McHenry in Baltimore during the, uh, the War of 1812. And then the so-called black national anthem called Lift Every Voice and Sing. This was the third year in a row where the most watched sporting event of the year featured a special national anthem for one special racial group. It's the third time the broadcast has featured the song, yet it's the first time that the song was performed on the field, uh, which is significant because that's, of course, how they also performed the real national anthem. Now, all of this is, of course, totally grotesque and outrageous, and the kind of gratuitous display that no country outside of the Western world would ever be stupid enough to allow. And yes, I use the word allow here intentionally. You'll notice that nowhere else do they permit individual racial groups to come up with their own national anthems that are then performed before major events. That's the sort of thing that can only happen here. And I don't mean that as a compliment. Now, there are, as always, some people looking to defend the indefensible and minimize even the most outrageous excesses of leftism. There are even conservatives who enjoy participating in this pastime. There are many conservatives who love doing this. And um, from those people who, who you know, we, we've heard that, well, the, the lift every voice and sing, it's a nice gospel song. It's not actually a national anthem. Uh, so there's no reason for us to object to it. They didn't call it the Black National Anthem during the broadcast, after all. They didn't specifically say that during the broadcast. For example, a guy named Ross Schumann, who identifies himself as a conservative, made this case to me last night. He tweeted, um, quote, at no point in time was Lift Every Voice and Sing called a national anthem on the broadcast. Why do you take the left's bait? Well, except that the NAACP has billed the song as the Black National Anthem since 1917. Not to mention... The woman who performed the song at the game, Cheryl Lee, Lee Ralph, said that she was performing the Black National Anthem. That's what she said. She posted, quote, It is no coincidence that I'll be singing the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing, at the Super Bowl on the same date it was first publicly performed 123 years ago. Uh, happy Black History Month. So everyone, including the performer herself, knows what the song is and why it's being performed. There's a reason they had her sing it on the field with the audience in the stadium standing in solemn reverence just as they do for the real national anthem. There's a reason why every media report has hailed the inspirational rendition of the, quote, black national anthem, and they've all called it that specifically. The media, the NFL, the left, they're not celebrating the performance of a gospel hymn, okay? Their intention is not to glorify God. That's not what they're excited about. That may be the focus of the lyrics in the song, but that's not why it's included in the broadcast. And that's not the intention behind its performance. The intention is to do the only thing a racialized national anthem can do, which is to divide Americans along racial lines 
elevate some races above others. You know, some races are special and they get two national anthems while the rest of us have to settle for just one while diminishing our most cherished national traditions. Because the message of the black national anthem is that the actual national anthem isn't enough. It isn't good enough. It isn't inclusive enough. Like nobody disagrees that black people should have a national anthem. No one is, no one is saying that, oh, there's no, no one is, no one is looking at, at black people and say, you don't get a national anthem. This isn't for you. No, the point is that the national anthem is everyone's national anthem. So if you're a black person, that's your national anthem. If you're a white person, that's your national anthem. If you're a Native American, that's your national anthem. It's everyone's national anthem. But the other message, the other idea behind this, which is just as false and just as insidious, is that uh, the, the situation, this is what they're trying to claim, this is why they're doing it, that the situation hasn't improved much for black people since the song was declared the black national anthem over 100 years ago. It was a, a rallying cry during the civil rights battle. Well, bringing it back now, not just bringing it back, but elevating it to a status equal to or even surpassing the real national anthem is meant to send the message that black people still do not have their rights, that the civil rights battle of 100 years ago is still ongoing, which is all total nonsense. And we see yet again that those supposedly fighting against racism are in fact determined to create racial divides, deepen them where they already existed, open new wounds and reopen old ones, and keep the resentments of the past forever at the forefront of our minds. The whole point of performing the national anthem, the real national anthem, is to, first of all, show our respect and gratitude for this country and for the traditions in our country and for the people who have you know, made all this possible for us. It's also to show our unity and to celebrate our, nas- our national identity under one flag and one God. That's the point. But the powers that be don't share that goal. Their goal is exactly the opposite. And that's what the Black National Anthem is really all about. Now let's get to our headlines. Well, I hate to break it to you, but uh, you will die someday. Whether you're a first-time parent early in your career or a recently empty nester, you need to make sure that you have a plan in place for when you meet your demise, which is coming around the corner at any moment. A will is not just about your stuff. It's, about, uh, it's not just for the elderly either. Uh, when you leave behind a will, you leave behind a legacy. You ensure that your wishes are honored when you're unable to see them through. You ensure that your loved ones are taken care of even after you're gone. My partners at Epic Will will help you des- decide today how the future will look if you die tomorrow. Did you know that 50% of Americans don't even have a will? Don't be just another statistic. For just $119 in as little as five minutes, Epic Will can help you create your last will and testament, your living will, and even healthcare power of attorney. Their step-by-step online form makes it incredibly easy. All you got to do is fill in the blanks. Go to epicwill.com. Use promo code Walsh to save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. That's epicwill.com, promo code Walsh. Now let's talk about UFOs. Um, I have to tell you, this has been an exciting weekend for me, but also a painful one in many ways. Exciting because of the alien invasion, very exciting. Uh, But painful because I have to confront this deep rift in my own family, Uh, this division between us, uh, between those of us in in my family who care about UFOs and those who don't. And sadly, I am apparently alone on my side of the rift because I've been trying to talk to my wife all weekend about the UFO story and give her updates, but all she does is like laugh at me. Last night, I was I was telling her about the latest, and and as I'm speaking to her, she pulls out her phone and starts texting her sister a transcript of what I am saying to her in the moment, while laughing at me. And I'm saying, can you can you take this seriously for five seconds? I mean, what is going on? Why are you not focusing on this? And then I even tried to tell my son about this. He's a nine year old boy. And um, I figure if anyone is excited about aliens, as excited as me, it would be a nine-year-old boy. So I told him about it. I told him, about the, you know, I was telling him about the, the cylindrical UFOs that we'll get to in a second uh, that they shot down and, and that had no visible means of propulsion. And he said, what is visible means of propulsion? I said, well, it means that we, we don't know how they're staying in the sky, okay? We, don't, we can't tell. And then he looks at me and says, wow, cool. Can I go play outside now? Oh, you want to play outside in, in an alien invasion? Go, go ahead. Sorry that I'm boring you. 
So it's been tough at home, but uh, the news cycle has been great anyway. Here's a Daily Wire report that I think gets us up to speed pretty well. It says, new UFO sightings appear to be popping up all around the United States over the past few days. In the week since the U.S. military shot down a suspected Chinese spy balloon off the coast of South Carolina, officials say at least three other strange flying objects have been blasted out of the sky, and there have been multiple additional incidents leading to temporary restrictions in pockets of sky around the Midwest. In the most recent development, a U.S. F-16 fighter jet shot down a UFO over Lake uh, Huron on Sunday, according to the officials. The Defense Department said in a statement that President Joe Biden ordered the strike on the recommendation of military leadership after an airborne object flying at approximately 20,000 feet um, was in U.S. airspace over the lake, a location chosen for its low impact on people below and the improved odds for debris recovery. The DOD statement said the object was detected Sunday morning and its altitude raised concerns, including that it could be a hazard to civilian aviation. The object flew in proximity to sensitive DOD sites and had potential surveillance capabilities, but likely no kinetic military threat. Uh, continuing along, it says these objects were much smaller than the balloon shot down over the Atlantic Ocean last weekend. Uh, according to um, Chuck Schumer, says uh, he said that he he thinks that they that they are balloons. That's his theory about it. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Patrick Ryder said on Friday the UFO shot down, shot down over Alaska was about the size of a small car and not similar in size or shape to the suspected Chinese surveillance balloon. Uh, so there was this, the balloon that they were very hesitant to shoot down. And in fact, they let it float over the entire continental United States before they finally shot it down. They're, they're you know, very hesitant to do it, and they decided that we can afford to wait for like days and days and days while it goes over the entire country and, uh, and over military installations and, and nuclear sites and all the rest of it. So they said we can wait for that. But now, all of a sudden, if they see anything in, in the sky that they don't immediately recognize, they're just taking it out. So there has apparently been this shift in strategy that's interesting. Here's a CNN reporter talking about um, the reports we've heard back from the pilots who have gone up to investigate and engage with these objects. And here's what they are saying. This is kind of unusual that these pilots saw different things. And that is sort of, I guess, adding to the mystery of all this. Yeah, not even the pilots apparently were really able to identify what they saw. And just to take you back for a sec, on Thursday, the uh, the U.S. defense officials sent F-35 fighter jets up to try to figure out what this object was that was flying around near Alaska. Those pilots, we have learned, have given very conflicting accounts of what they actually experienced, with some pilots saying that the, the object interfered with the plane's sensors, other pilots saying that they didn't really experience that, other pilots saying that when they looked at the object, they could identify no identifiable uh, identifiable propulsion system, and they did not know how it was actually staying in the air, cruising at that altitude of about 40,000 feet. So this is all added to the Pentagon's wariness of describing in more detail what this object actually is until they can get more information uh, through the debris that they are recovering right now. So that's something, again, keep in mind that they are, they're claiming that they don't know what these things are, and they don't even know how they're in the sky. They don't know how they are managing to remain aloft in the sky, and yet they're just shooting them all down anyway. That's what they're claiming. That's the story they're telling us. And the, the theme that emerges rather quickly here is that the story they're telling us makes no sense at all, because you don't just shoot things down without having any idea what they are, especially when, again, we saw the previous week how cautious they apparently were to shoot something out, even when they know what it is. I mean, they knew it was a balloon from China that was here to on a surveillance mission, a spy balloon. And even knowing that, they were cautious about shooting it down. Now we're supposed to believe that they have no clue what these are, and they're like, oh, let's just take it down, we'll figure it out later. Let's shoot it down, and uh, we'll, you know, if we, we'll collect the pieces and figure out what it was. I find that hard to believe, but don't worry. We have our best um, men on this job and women, including Karen Jean Pear, who here she is explaining how the U.S. is handling all of this. Why is why is the American military shooting something 
out of the sky over Canada. Because it's part of a NORAD. There is a, the NORAD okay. is part of like a part of a it's a it's a what you call a coalition, a consortium, a, consortium, a, a pact, so, of nations. A pact okay. exactly. And so that's why we were able to do that again. It, we didn't do it on our own. We did right. it in in uh, in uh, clearly in in in, in, in step with uh, right. Canada. <laughs> did she say Canada? She did. It's uh, you know, it's it, we shot it down. It's uh, uh, NORAD. It's part of the. Uh, it's you know, NORAD is uh, it's the thing with the. Uh, it's there's a. It's a. It's a, you know, it's a. It's a thing with the group. It's a, it's exactly right. It's and they're in Canada. Uh, it's the. It's the country right. It's up there. These if if there are space aliens coming to invade us, this is who they are. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Like we get a we get a a dementia patient in the White House. Who then proceeds to hire a bunch of dementia patients, and that's when the aliens show up. I don't think that's a coincidence. They were waiting for their moment, and they looked at each other and said, "This is it. This is our time. Like, there's not going to be a better time." They just, this guy, okay, and now they're here. Um, but here are the clips that really matter. Um, I want to, I want to play two sound bites. This is from General Glenn, Glenn Van Herc of the U.S. Air Force. First of all, here he is in a press conference. We already heard a little bit about this, but here he is uh, talking about the objects and how they don't know how the objects are remaining in the sky. I am uh, not able to categorize how they stay aloft. It could be a gaseous uh, type of uh, uh, balloon inside a structure, or it could be some type of a propulsion system. But clearly, they're, uh, they're able to stay aloft. I would be hesitant to and urge you not to... Uh, attributed to any specific country. We don't know. That's why it's so critical to get our hands on these so that we can further assess and analyze what they are. Okay. Now, but here's the big clip because he's he's asked directly if these are space aliens. And at least we can all, no matter how you feel about all this, maybe we can a- appreciate the fact that it's not often in a press conference with a military general that you get direct questions about a potential space alien invasion. This might be the first time. I don't know. I'd have to check. But I, maybe is this the first time in history that this has been asked in a, this directly and explicitly? And here's what he says. Hi, thanks, Pat. And thanks for doing this. This is for General Van Herc. Uh, because you still haven't been able to tell us what these things are that we are shooting out of the sky, uh, that raises the question, um, have you ruled out aliens or extraterrestrials? And if so, why? Because that is what everyone is asking us right now. And thanks for the question, Helene. I'll let the intel community and the uh, counterintelligence community figure that out. I haven't ruled out anything uh, at this point. We continue to assess uh, every threat or potential threat unknown that approaches North America uh, with an attempt to identify it. Haven't ruled it out. So there it is. What else do you need to know? But don't be alarmed. Because the good news is that if you've seen the movie, myself as a student, uh, you know, as, as something of, a, of a, an expert in this field of alien research, part of my research is watching all the alien movies. And I've seen them all. And one thing I learned from uh, the movie Signs from M. Night Shyamalan is that uh, the aliens, they, they, they could come all this way, light years away. They figured out how to travel across space and time, traveling at the speed of light or even exceeding the speed of light. They make it all the way here, and then their plot is easily foiled by a locked basement door and a glass of water. So um, if that was an accurate reflection of the alien knack for strategy and planning, then I think we'll be okay. But I know that some of you are skeptical that these are space aliens. And you might point out that it's quite a coincidence that we had the whole uh, Chinese balloon news cycle, and then it immediately leads to this. Now, what exactly the connection is between those two things, I don't know. But it's interesting that these two news cycles have happened back to back. Uh, You might also point out that if an advanced race of intelligent beings have mastered interstellar travel, and they are at least slightly more intelligent uh, and better at strategy and planning than the ones in the M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan film, then they probably couldn't be taken down that easily by a few missiles that we launch at it. You know, I, and I understand those arguments. Fair enough. So let's just, for the sake of argument, allow ourselves for a moment to entertain the possibility that these aren't aliens. I'm not saying I believe that, but let's entertain the possibility. 
if they aren't, it's still a it's still to say the least a very bizarre uh, event. Because you know, I know the, the most popular theory on social media right now, from from what I've seen anyway, anecdotally, at least among right wingers in particular, is that well, this is just this is like a giant distraction mechanism. This is a diversion, right? The Biden administration, they're they're pointing at the shiny objects in the sky and saying, "Look at that," because they don't want us looking over here at whatever else they're doing. I, I have to say, I, I do find that theory a little bit underwhelming. Um, I don't find it very persuasive. And it's and not because I don't think that they wouldn't use diversions and distractions. No, no, no. They do that all the time. Don't get me wrong. The media, the Biden administration, uh, the elites, they are constantly doing that. They're constantly distracting us by saying, look over there at the shiny object, what, because they don't want us looking over here. So, I, so that part, yeah, absolutely. But that's exactly the point. They do it all the time and easily. They don't need to, to come up with some elaborate UFO hoax to distract us. Um, they, we are the most easily distracted group of people to have ever walked the face of the earth. As I said at the top, we can't, we can't focus on anything for more than 15 minutes. Even if there actually was an alien invasion, nobody would focus on it for that long. Um, it doesn't take, it takes almost no effort to distract us. And so usually the Biden administration in particular, if they want to distract us, then they'll, you know, they can just wave a pride flag or something or, or light, the, light the White House up in pride colors. And, uh, and then they can, you know, just some, some, virtu- some real simple, easy virtue signaling thing so they can say, look, we're standing up for gay rights. And meanwhile, you know, we're not, we're not looking over in the other direction. They don't want us to look. So that's all it usually takes. Um, it would not require anything close to this kind of elaborate planning that would go into a hoax of this kind, if that's what this is. The other thing is that they obviously don't want us to know exactly what's happening. Um, they know more than they're telling us, but yet they're telling us something, which is also an interesting detail. Because they didn't need to tell us anything. It would be, it'd be pretty easy to not tell us about any of this, and we wouldn't know. Um, it's, it's not like most of us are, you know, these are, from what I understand, for the most part, these are not objects that people saw, and then we started talking about it, and then they came along and said, oh yeah, we're trying to figure out what that is. It's more like they told us, hey, there are these objects in the sky. Well, what are the objects? I don't know. Who knows? But they're there. So, it's something that's happening that they want us to know about, but they don't want us to know exactly what it is. How do you make sense of all this? I don't know exactly. But I do know that however you explain it, um, certainly incompetence has to play a role here. And that also makes it more difficult to speculate and more difficult to come up with reasonable theories because there's always that element of, of incompetence that you have to factor in. Like I said a moment ago, I mean, just the simple fact that they're claiming they don't know what it is and yet they're shooting them out of the sky. I don't know what it is. They're also claiming that they know it's not a threat. Um, they're claiming to know that. Don't know what it is, not a threat, yet we're shooting it down without figuring out anything else. None of that makes sense. Could be an indication that they're hiding something. They all, they, well, they certainly are hiding some things. Maybe that's part of what they're hiding. But also, just keep in mind that these are, in con- you just heard Karen Jean Pear. She represents the White House, and she represents it well, or at least I should say accurately, so these are incredibly incompetent idiots, and you, you always have to remember that. So it is actually plausible, it's plausible, that they really don't know what these things are, and they're just shooting them down anyway, um, and, and partly they're doing that because they got embarrassed by the spy balloon before. All of this adds up to, like we talk about on the show a lot, just the total collapse of public trust, which rears its ugly head constantly. And this is another one of those cases. Um, Because all we can really know is that whatever is happening, they aren't telling us the truth about it. Whatever they say is happening, it's probably not that. Whatever else it is, who knows? And that complicates matters too, because, well, if we're we're following the rule, which I think is usually a pretty good rule, that whatever they're saying it is, it's probably not that. Well, they, they have themselves publicly entertain the notion that it might be aliens. They've also come out and said, oh, it's probably just balloons. 
So if we're going with the it's not what they say rule, then it rules out both the most extraordinary explanation, which would be space aliens, and then the least extraordinary, which would be balloons. Because from the powers that be, we've been, we've been given both of those possibilities, which leaves a lot of room in between. Um, all right. I have to mention this story as well. And this is one, you know, if, if you're going with the this is all a distraction thing, then, uh, well, there is at least one major story happening in the country right now that they would want to distract us from. Although, again, I still say they don't need any alien or UFO hoax to successfully distract us from this story, especially because most people aren't paying attention to it in the first place, even though they should be. Um, and it's another story where uh, things don't add up and it, it's just it's it's the official narrative doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, and we're obviously not being told everything. But we'll try to piece this together if we can. We'll start with this from uh, The Guardian. Five days after a train carrying vinyl chloride derailed and exploded near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border, crews ignited a controlled burn of toxic chemicals to prevent a much more dangerous explosion. Thousands in East Palestine, pretty sure it's pronounced Palestine, not Palestine, although that's how it's a town of about 5,000 people evacuated, and officials warned the control that the controlled burn would create a uh, phosgene and hydrogen chloride plume across the region. Phosgene is a highly toxic gas that can cause vomiting and breathing trouble and was used as a weapon in the First World War. Though no one died in the accident, the catastrophe serves as a wake-up call to the potential for more deadly freight, uh, freight rail derailments, public health advocates warn. By one estimate, 25 million Americans live in an oil train blast zone and had the derailment occur just a few miles east. It would be burning in downtown Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh with tens of thousands of residents in immediate danger. Um, so, yeah, this train derailment, lots of toxic chemicals on the train. And this happened, uh, when this happened? It's about a week ago. Toxic chemicals on the train. And then there's an explosion and a fire and it's releasing all these chemicals into the air and also into the groundwater. And we're told that the burn was intentional, that they're doing a controlled burn of toxic chemicals a few miles from a populated area. And there's more going on here. They actually, they, they, to make things stranger, they actually arrested a reporter who was reporting on the situation. This is from WSWS. In a shocking incident Wednesday, police arrested a national news reporter in the middle of a news conference by the Ohio governor on the train derailment in East Palestine. Following the February 3rd crash, uh, government and railroad officials had authorized a controlled release, quote unquote, of thousands of pounds of toxins into the air and groundwater. The reporter, Evan Lambert of News Nation, was at the back of the elementary school gymnasium in East Palestine, covering, uh, completing a live broadcast as the governor was about to speak. He was approached by local police officers and someone with the National Guard who told him he was talking too loudly. Harris reportedly told Lambert to, to stop the broadcast. Lambert ended the broadcast, and then there was a verbal exchange. Um, according to reports, at one point, Harris pushed Lambert. A video posted by NBC station WKYC shows police surrounding Lambert at the back of the gymnasium. Uh, Lambert is engaged in animated conversation with Harris and officers, but does not appear to be doing anything resembling disorderly conduct. He's soon escorted out by police and then forced to the ground for no apparent reason and handcuffed. So this is another one where they told us initially that he was reported for being, uh, for being belligerent or, or you know, physically assaulting. Turns out that's not what happened. So they're burning toxic chemicals intentionally. They're arresting reporters. Meanwhile, people's pets are dying left and right. This is the New York Post. Animals are falling sick and dying near the site of a hellish Ohio train derailment last Friday which released toxic chemicals into the air, according to reports, sparking fears of the potential health impacts the crash could have on humans. Taylor Holzer, owner of a dairy farm just outside the evacuation zone in East Palestine, said that uh, several foxes he keeps on his property have become mortally ill. He said others have developed watery eyes and puffy faces, have uncharacteristically refused to eat for several day days, and then there are other um, people in the area that have also reported that their animals are falling sick. And it's not just pets either. One of the, the most disturbing aspects of this, and I think we have this report, are that uh, fish, there are, you know, the rivers and water sources all around, and there are fish that are turning up dead in the rivers. Uh, and this is miles and miles from the site of the crash. I think we have one of those reports here. 
that the area well and groundwater are safe. However, after this couple saw dead fish in this creek that you're looking at, they're deciding to not take any chances. Oh, uh, there was hundreds. Russell Murphy is referring to the fish now belly up in Leslie Run. He and his wife noticed them last night, barely 48 hours after the fiery derailment, five miles away. This is huge, huge environmental effects. That's now one of many concerns the EPA now faces. The impact of the fish, yes, there was a, a impact of those. However, the levels as we have seen it are protective to groundwater. We are aware there are some wells along that for residential wells. Environmental cleanup crews were at and actually in that water today. So are these booms, which are used to catch and stop anything that shouldn't be flowing here or into water wells, which Murphy uses for just about everything. Uh, so the fish are turning up dead, pets are dying, uh, toxic chemicals in the air and the groundwater, and yet they tell us, oh, there's nothing to be concerned about. It's, uh, it's for some reason, it's not, it's, not, it's not dangerous to your health as a human being. Uh, it's not getting into the water supply that people are drinking, they're, they're claiming, even though the fish are all dying. Um, if, you're, if you're curious what this all looked like, by the way, here's a report from uh, Now This, and the only reason I'm really playing this is just to see some of the footage. If you are watching the video podcast, so you see some of the footage of what this looked like while all the chemicals are burning. Let's watch this for a minute. You're looking at a toxic cocktail of harmful and potentially deadly chemicals purposely being burned off by authorities. But why? Let's rewind. This all started with a train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, a town of nearly 5,000 people. Five of the cars that derailed were carrying vinyl chloride, a dangerous chemical linked to multiple cancers. It's used to make a whole bunch of things from car parts to PVC piping, but on its own, vinyl chloride can cause blisters, headaches, dizziness, and can be deadly if breathed in for too long. It's also unstable, and at least one of the train cars was at risk of exploding and sending deadly shrapnel flying as far as a mile. And while that massive explosion didn't end up happening, many are wondering if the way authorities are going about mitigating the incident is the best course of action. To avoid a catastrophic explosion, officials conducted a controlled release of vinyl chloride a few days after the derailment. They pierced the train cars so the vinyl chloride could drain into a trench and burn. It resulted in this. Authorities said that the controlled burn would release hydrogen chloride and phosgene into the air. Yes, as in World War I chemical weapon phosgene. So what does that mean for residents? Well, everyone living within at least a two-mile radius of the derailment site was ordered to evacuate. Ahead of the controlled burn, authorities Authorities released an evacuation map and essentially said if you're in this area, leave or risk dying because of toxic fumes. Authorities have been monitoring the air and water quality since the controlled release started and said that none of the readings were concerning. But many evacuated residents still have questions, namely when they'll be able to return home safely. While the possibility for a massive explosion is no longer a danger, there's been no timeline given for when it will be safe for people to return to the affected area. Uh, by the way, I've, I have... If you, if you notice, we're sort of piecing together local news reports and, you know, things from Twitter, uh, you know, as, as I'm talking about this. And that's because that's where I'm learning about most of this. Twitter, uh, give TikTok a hard time. But in this case, uh, there, there are residents in the area and other people that have been following this that have been reporting on it. And we have to rely on that because for the most part, the corporate media has had very little interest in this story. Like if you go to CNN.com or NBC News, one of those New York Times, um, you're not going to find much, if anything, about this. Even though, again, to review, trade derailment, they intentionally burn toxic chemicals, sending them into the air and the water supply. Uh, pets are dying. Fish are dying. Uh, people are likely getting cancer as we speak. Okay. All that is happening. And there's very little interest in it. This is I mean, easily already one of, at least one of the worst ecological disasters in American history. Already, it's that. And that's based on what little we know. Because again, in spite of the fact that this is happening in the modern United States, okay, this is not happening in the middle of North Korea somewhere where they've closed off all the, the, the avenues of information. This is happening right here. It's happening in, in Ohio. And um, yet we're being told very little about it. And from what I've heard from people in the area, what we are being told makes it seem a lot better than it actually is. It's, it's even worse than what little we're being told about it. So this easily one of the worst ecological disasters in American history could prove to be the worst. Kind of an American Chernobyl in many ways. 
And just like with Chernobyl or many similar kinds of uh, disasters, we're not even going to know the, the, the full impact of this. If people are getting cancer right now, we're not going to know that. Not, we're not going to know the full impact of it for years down the line. And we might never know. So this is something that we should be keeping track of, a story to keep track of. Um, and it's also worth noting, I think, that, you know, I can't help but notice that this is yet another major transportation-related disaster that's happening not just under the Biden administration, but happening with Pete Buttigieg as our transportation secretary. So Pete Buttigieg was given the job of transportation secretary because he's gay, and for no other reason, no relevant experience, the only reason he got the job, and everybody knows this, only reason he got the job is because he's gay. Okay, He likes to have, he likes to have sex with men, and so for some reason, that qualified him to be transportation secretary. And what have we seen since he took over? We've seen uh, historic disruptions in the supply chain. We've seen chaos at our ports. We've seen unprecedented historic events like the all flights across the country being grounded. And now we have one of the worst train derailments leading to potentially the worst ecological disaster in American history. This is all under this guy's watch. On top of everything else, I think we could say that this is, this will prove to be the most disastrous diversity hire ever. I, I'm not sure there's, there's been a worse one. But again, this is a story that we should uh, keep track of. All right, much less important news uh, on, a, on a lighter note, going back to the Super Bowl before we get to the comment section. And, you know, people have been talking about the commercials Talking about, and again, it's one of the things people talk about for like half a day or less. But there was finally a trailer for the fifth Indiana Jones movie. And people are, because Disney's doing a, a fifth one, people are somehow excited about this film. Let's watch the trailer. You, have we met? My memory's a little fuzzy. Are you still a Nazi? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how people. They, people just never learn. You know, I. I. It's. It, this is part of the the programming, I guess. And that we are a culture obsessed with entertainment, and um, and when it comes to entertainment, part of the reason why we like to be entertained all the time is because you people. All, in fact, people say this. I could turn my brain off. I just want to watch something where I can turn my brain off. Yeah. Well, do you ever turn it back on? Is is the question. So somehow people never learn, because I'm watching some of the reaction to that uh, trailer. And most people, including like people that I know are conservatives, seem pretty hyped about it. They're, they're pretty excited. Oh, it looks, oh, it looks good. This is going to be great. And I'm just wondering, and, and no offense, but how stupid do you have to be at this point to actually be excited for a franchise reboot film from Disney? Like, how many times do you need to see how this works before you learn that it is always going to be terrible? Like it, it, and the only way to stop it is if people just stop showing interest in the films and stop going to watch them. Because what's going to happen is this: is this stupid movie is going to come out, and people are going to flock to the theater. It's going to make a billion dollars, and ninety percent of those people are going to leave the theater saying that was terrible. It was woke garbage. It was woke garbage that I just gave my money to. And the next time they put out more woke garbage, uh, you know, another franchise reboot, I'll go watch that one too, and I'll keep watching them and keep giving them my money until they they. Until it changes, I will I will reward this with my money, and I will keep rewarding it until magically they stop doing it. I don't know about that plan. Look, Harrison Ford is a million years old, um, and then they've got this actress Phoebe Waller Bridge, who is uh, or Bridger, whatever her name is, who's going to be. Uh, she's in the film, and they're, they're setting her up as the new Indiana Jones. Because remember, in Indiana Jones Four, they had Shia La- LaBeouf. And now we're pretending he, he was, wasn't he uh, Indiana Jones' son in that film? And, but now we're pretending he doesn't exist. So I was getting rid of him. Uh, and they're largely doing that because, well, they don't want the new Indiana Jones who they set up to be a, a man, uh, least of all a white man. 
So now the new one has to be a woman. So they're going to set up the, the new female Indiana Jones. She'll be taking the reins or the, the whip in this case. So it's going to be a, a geriatric Indiana Jones teaming up with a girl Indiana Jones. And what is the appeal of that exactly? And I can guarantee you that the entire film, it's going to be nothing but a whole bunch of jokes about how Indiana Jones is this bumbling idiot man who can't do anything right. And so he needs the, uh, the, 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 the smart aleck woman there who can kick ass and get things done. You know, you just, like you guarantee it's going to be the scene where Indiana Jones is about to be taken out by the bad guy. And then he hears the, the gunshot and he, he thinks that he got shot. And he looks over and it's the girl standing there, save the day. And she'll make some, you know, wise crack. And it'll be, that's going to be the whole movie. And people will still go, it'll still make a billion dollars. And people will still watch it, even though we all know what it's going to be. Just let these things die, okay? Let them die. On that note, let's get to our comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order. Maxine says, when I was in high school, I fell to this social contagion, mainly from the internet, not in school. I was 100% certain that I was a boy. I wanted my breasts removed. I wanted to take testosterone so I could have a deep voice. Five years later, I shudder in fear, thinking about what would have happened if I went through with it. Thank God I found people like you to wake me up before I ruined my life. Um, well, I'm happy to hear that you were, you were saved from that. You were able to turn away from that uh, before getting entirely sucked into it. I'm happy to hear that I was able to play some some kind of role in that. On the other hand, I am terrified to hear uh, you tell me this story and then tell me five years later. So you're looking back on it five years ago. So what that tells me is that five years ago, it was already that bad. Now, it doesn't surprise me, and I'm, I'm aware of that, but uh, I think it will be surprising to a lot of people that even five years ago, so, you know, I think many people think of this as like, the last year or two, and it's gotten really bad with the, with the trans social contagion. But uh, even five years ago, it was it was already, you know, um, it was already very much, you know, a, a contagion. Whitney says Dwayne Wade's kid is the only case I've ever heard where the father is pushing the kid's transition and the mother is fighting it. Is the mother fighting it? Is Gabrielle Union is the mother, right? Or, or no, maybe you're right because the Gabrielle Union, I think, is the stepmom of the kid, and so I'm not sure. I, I don't remember all the details of the story, but what I do know is that yes, whether whether he's doing it above the 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 uh, protests of the mom or not, this is a case where the father is very clearly a, playing a central role in pushing the transgenderism on the kid, um, and it's it is unusual. Like you just, you don't usually see the fathers doing that. It's not unusual to have transgenderism pushed on kids, as we just talked about. This is happening all over the place. But in almost every case that you can think of, certainly in all the prominent cases that get a lot of attention, uh, it's almost always the mom pushing this on kids. Just like, as I've made this comparison many times, to uh, Munchausen by proxy, because that's exactly what this is. Munchausen by proxy, that's been you know, a phenomenon that's been known about for a long time, and it, it's almost always a woman in that case. Like historically, it's almost always been a woman, and with Munchausen, it's a it's almost always a mother who is pretending that her child is sick in order to get attention, so that she can get attention. Or in the worst cases, she is making the child sick so that again she can get attention. And that is precisely what is happening here. You are making your child sick, um, psychologically sick, emotionally sick. And also physically sick when you start putting the, the poisons in them, the hormones and everything, puberty blockers. And you're doing it so that you can get attention. Um, Nathan Smith says, man, I was really hoping Matt would show the hitting the brakes makes you slow down Dr. Hamada clip. I laughed so loud when that bit happened. It's like something from a freaking sitcom. There are some real morons in this local government here in Tennessee. Yes, yeah, so I forgot about that moment. So let's, Let's relive that now. I forgot until I saw your comment. That was a good, and that got a laugh for me sitting in the room, in the hearing room. This is the last clip we'll play from this committee hearing, which has proven quite fruitful in terms of uh, clips and show content. So this is the guy, again, who tried to corner me on my credentials, and we know how that went for him. He did the same thing to an actual doctor. We played that clip, Dr. Hamada. This is another moment from that 
questioning of the doctor that I had forgotten about until now, but I did enjoy it in the moment. Here it is. Amazingly, liberal Europe has, let, let me just say the United States has, has severely exceeded even what liberal Europe has done on many uh, facets, whether it's gender transformation or the issues of life or the issues of euthanasia, et cetera. Um, I don't know what the problem is, but it seems like here in the United States, we are rushing uh, to extreme positions. And with regards to this in particular, uh, the UK, Sweden, and Finland have actually put the brakes on uh, with regards to these gender transitions in our pediatric population. Chairman Payson, you good? All right. Uh, Representative Clemens, you recognize? Yes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I, I got to take issue with your position about these European countries. I think what you just said about Finland is actually completely false. What and, part? Well, you just said that they put the brakes on this entirely. Is that accurate? Are you going to sit here and testify to this committee that Finland just put the brakes on this care entirely? From what I understand, they have slowed down. They have not. They have. Uh, they were fast-tracking things like this, but from what I understand, they have... Now, they've, the now they're slowing on. down. They had not put the brakes on it. Putting brakes on slows you down. <laughs> it, was, it was just, man, it was great. There, there were so many moments like that. It was just uh, this guy, uh, Clemens, I forget his name now, Lee Clemens, I think. He, <laughs> so many attempts. It wasn't just me. Just so many attempts to back people into corners and to get a, get a, like a gotcha moment. And it kept backfiring on them over and over again. And I love that because it's, and it's not even semantics either. It's like, um, yeah, they, they are, they are putting the brakes on, but as you know, to, to play the analogy out when you're in your car and you put the brakes on, it doesn't mean that you are screeching to a halt. That might be how this guy drives legislator, but uh, that's not how it's supposed to go. It just slows you down. And, and it also is, by the way, completely true that um, in a lot of these European countries, they are putting the brakes on slash slowing down with a lot of this stuff. Um, and that should tell you something because usually, you know, when you look at Europe, Western Europe in particular, you can find that they're, you know, they're always like a, a few train cars ahead of us on the crazy train. And so you can look at where they are and you know where we'll be in the future. But in some areas, they are pulling back, at least ever so, not, maybe not completely, but they are pulling back from some of this because they've seen how disastrous it's been while we just go full speed ahead. So that is what's happening. Another great moment there at the end. To celebrate President's Day this year, the Daily Wire is launching our President's our President's for Sale sales, what it's called, with 40% off new annual memberships. We are giving you 40%. Get access to the world of Daily Wire Plus with fearless documentaries, gripping movies, Dennis Prager's The Master's Program, and the entire library of Jordan Peterson's work, including uh, new productions like Exodus, Logos, and Literary and on, Literacy, and On Marriage. Coming down the pipeline to a TV or laptop near you, we have new episodes of Ben Shapiro's The Search, Exodus Part 2, our much-anticipated DW uh, Kids content and pen dragon later this year. To sweeten the deal, like ice cream, we're also giving you up to 40% off select items in the Daily Wire shop. Take advantage of our President's for Sale sale today. Uh, you know that he would, so just go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member today. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Our first daily cancellation of the week revisits a theme that we have become familiar with in this segment. Another video has gone viral of a young person, appears to be Gen Z, bitterly lamenting the fact that he's expected to work. In fact, he says that this expectation is sick and twisted, quote unquote. Here he is. It's sick and twisted that I have to work just to survive, just to live my life for basic ass necessities. Like... I don't want to work until the day I die just to eat and sleep. Basic human necessities, it shouldn't be controversial. Free housing, free healthcare shouldn't be a pipe dream. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, you should be doing this or that. No. Like, what if I don't want to be rich? What if I want to achieve shit? I still have to work till the day I die just to live, just to survive. People give up their entire lives just to retire at the ripe age of 60 whatever for what to get paid dirt even then 
people destroy their bodies physically and mentally just to feed into a capitalistic system that does not give a shit about you. Like, God didn't make me the smartest angel, but I know that shit needs to change. And I don't want to be told that I'm ungrateful, that I should be happy to have a job where it's taking up 40 hours of my week. You know, I want to spend time with my family. I want to do that is fulfilling to me. But all that like requires so much privilege, it requires so much wealth, and it's just messed up. 40 hours of my week. People that complain about a 40-hour-a-week job, they blow my mind. Do you know how, you know how lucky you are? I know he said, I don't, I don't want to be told that I should be grateful. Well, you should be grateful, you brat. You know how lucky you are if you only work 40 hours? That's it? Only 40 hours a week? That's all the, that's, that's all the time you're working. Think about that. The, the amount of work, period, that you do in a week is only 40 hours? Um, that is incredible to me. I can't even like conceive of only doing 40 hours of work in a week. Okay, so we have, again... A young man who appears to be well-fed, appears to be living in some kind of comfortable shelter, presumably a house or an apartment, and who is obviously blessed with any number of luxuries like a phone, internet connection. We can assume copious amounts of hair product. He has all of this and yet doesn't believe that work should be a requirement to maintain it. It's sick and twisted that he should have to work just to live, let alone to afford his hair conditioner. Now, as I've often said in response to these kinds of disturbingly common complaints from his generation— about the fact that you have to work is like about the fact that you have to breathe. You might as well make a video whining like, uh, you're telling me I have to breathe every second of the day just to live? Exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale all the time just to live? What if I don't want to breathe? What if I want to live at the bottom of the ocean like a starfish? Why should breathing be a requirement? This is sick and twisted. In a certain way, you'd be, you'd be kind of right. It is unfortunate that we have to breathe. We have to eat. We have to sleep. All of these are chores that we are compelled to complete every day, or in some cases, every second of the day. It'd be a lot easier if we didn't have to do any of that. It'd be easier if we could exist as immortal, indestructible supermen who need nothing and want nothing and can do anything without expending any energy at all. That would be nice. But that is not how things are or will ever be. You can complain about it, but those complaints in 20 cents still won't even buy you a bottle of water, especially with inflation. Now, our friend with the hair says that working should not be a necessity. He says that there should be a universal housing, and universal health care. We should be given all the food that we need to eat. All right, so who exactly is building the houses that we are living in? Who is cultivating the food? Who's providing the medical care? You could say, well, the government will do it. But the government is not a genie that can make things materialize out of thin air. The government can only hire or more likely conscript other people to build the homes and harvest the food and so on. What this means, as I'm constantly having to remind the younger generation and my own generation, is that no matter what happens, no matter what system is in place, someone, lots of people, have to work in order to keep all of society afloat and all of the many mouths, including your own, fed. People have to work. There is no way around it. Our system doesn't demand it. Capitalism doesn't demand it. Life demands it. What you are demanding is not that you get to drop out of the system, but that you be granted the privilege of benefiting from it without contributing to it. You want others to work for you in exchange for you doing nothing. You want slaves is what you want. That's what you want. You have all the moral credibility of a plantation owner in the 1840s. You have less moral credibility, in fact, because even those plantation owners personally did more work than what you're willing to do, apparently. So you want to do literally nothing and have everyone else do everything. But what you can't explain, either morally or economically or logistically, is why any of the rest of us should submit to that system. Why should we agree to that? You know, you're you're sitting there saying, Hey, I have a proposal. Um, Here it is. I'll do nothing at all, and you guys will take care of me and do all the work. And in exchange, I will contribute absolutely nothing of value to the world. So you'll keep me alive and comfortable, and you'll do everything for me, and I will do absolutely nothing to help you or to make your life any better. How's that sound? Well, it sounds like the easiest deal in the world to turn down. It sounds like you're a parasite. 
and you should be thrown out onto the street, and you should be forced to contribute to your own survival or die. That's what should happen. That should happen like this kid, not even a kid, a grown adult, today, he should be thrown out. I'm assuming you probably his parents probably take care of him. Throw him out on the street and say, you're done. You, you, this is for your own good. Figure out how to survive. That's what it sounds like. That's what you need. Sounds like life needs to give you some shock therapy, son. Sounds like there are a whole lot of people in your generation who need the umbilical cords finally cut. It sounds like you've been living with nothing at stake, no skin in the game, no real pressure, and you need some pressure. You need some consequences introduced into your cozy, pointless existence. By the way, just so you know, the only reason you're able to exist and survive as such a soft, non-contributing little brat is because of capitalism. You complain that capitalism has made your life so difficult, but in fact, perhaps the greatest indictment on capitalism is that it has made your life far too easy. Capitalism's greatest flaw is you. Okay, the greatest problem with capitalism is it has made people like you possible. Because prior to our modern capitalistic age, somebody with your attitude would be dead. You would have died a long time ago. If you refuse to work every day, and I mean every day, all day, sun up to sundown, that's the situation that most people historically have faced. And even today, in most parts of the world, you are working every day, every single day, Sun up to sundown, and when the sun goes down, you fall asleep, dead tired, and then you get up and you do it all over again. And if you tried to drop out of that system, or if you complained that it was it was too sick and twisted, and uh, you didn't want to participate in it, you either would have died of starvation, or else the other people in your community or village would have banded together and killed you. Or perhaps if you're lucky, they merely would have banished you to the wilderness where you could die of exposure or starvation or get mauled to death. That would have been your fate in literally any society except for the one you're complaining about. A guy like this complaining about capitalism, it's like a billionaire on a private jet complaining about fossil fuels. And the fact that those two would agree on nearly every issue is not a coincidence. The fact that the anti-capitalist Gen Z TikToker lines up ideologically with the billionaire class is not a coincidence. But that's something to explore another day. Instead, I'd like to wrap things up with a, with, a, with a different thought. You know, we've talked about Mr. Hare and, uh, you know, and, and why he cannot have what he wants. Um, he cannot, he cannot have the sort of existence that he feels entitled to. But let's, let's not allow that to distract us from a more important point. He can't have what he wants. And also, he shouldn't want what he wants. As a young man, you shouldn't want to not work. You shouldn't want to coast through life. He says he doesn't want to achieve anything. And in that lack of ambition, in that mentality, he is joined, unfortunately, by many in his generation. But it is a deeply depraved mentality. It is not natural. It is not normal. Or at least it shouldn't be. As a young man, you should have big dreams and goals. You should have designs on like conquering the world. You, you may lack wisdom and experience, but you should not lack for ambition. I mean, that's the one thing you should not lack for. That's the one thing you should have in abundance. It's what generations of young men before you had, even if they had nothing else, they had that. I can remember being in my early 20s. I was impulsive, somewhat petulant. Some would say I still am on both counts, but I had ambition. If, if someone had offered to hand me a million dollars when I was like 22, now I would have taken it because I'm not crazy, but I didn't, I didn't want it to be handed to me. I didn't sit around dreaming of that. It wasn't, my dream was not winning the lottery or earning an inheritance from a rich relative that I didn't know about. I, I wanted to earn it myself. I wanted to do it myself so that I could say that I did it. I wanted to scratch and claw my way to success. If anything, my biggest flaw was that I, I turned down help even when I needed it because I wasn't willing to admit that I needed it because I wanted to climb the mountain myself or fail by myself. Many young people through history have been driven this way. It's not, when I say this about myself, it's not, oh, I'm so special. It, I'm not, that's the point. It's totally normal, or at least it should be. To have this insatiable desire to make something of yourself as a young man is supposed to be the most normal thing in the world. And that's why I just look with, with revulsion at the young people who don't have this ambition, the folly 
of youth is supposed to be an overabundance of ambition, you know, fearlessness, a, a propensity to, to, to take too many risks, to be too wild in the risks that you take in pursuit of greatness. We're supposed to be giving you lectures about being patient and taking things one step at a time and not trying to conquer the world overnight. Even at my still somewhat, maybe arguably somewhat young age of 36, especially now with six kids, I'm supposed to be the conservative and cautious one. And I'm supposed to be saying to guys like Mr. Hare, hey, settle down, be careful, be, be safe, don't overdo it. Okay, you don't have to conquer the world overnight. Instead, it's exactly the reverse, even now. Even now, me, middle-aged and, and with a family of eight to support, I am still far more willing to take risks, far more ambitious and vigorous in pursuit of my goals than these Gen Z TikTok whiners who are younger and have nothing to lose. Like you, you, if you, that's why I'm always saying, if you're a young person, you have no family, no kids, nothing, you can go out and do anything. Nothing should be stopping you or holding you back. You can move anywhere. You can try, you can try different things. You can take risks. There's almost nothing at stake. Even if it goes horribly wrong, you end up uh, homeless or something. It's not the worst thing in the world. You don't have any kids. You could, you could, you could scratch and claw and you find you. You live in a car for a while. Lots of people have done that. It's not ideal, but you can do it. Now's the time to do it. Where's your energy? Where's your desire for greatness? How can you be this jaded and lazy already? Well, I know the answer. And it's not that the world is so much harder for young people today. I don't want to hear that. It's not that they've been dealt a tougher hand than anyone else in history was ever dealt. Now, there are some unique and profound challenges that young people today face, of course. But every generation has their challenges. You don't have to go back that far in history to find generations who face struggles that none of us could ever conceive of. That's how hard they were. So that's not it. I think the answer is much more banal. The fact is that the digital age, phones, screens, porn, video games, social media has acted as a great mental numbing agent. Kids aren't programmed from a young age to seek stimulation and affirmation uh, from anything but the little dopamine machines that they carry around in their pockets. The only success they crave is the kind that can be measured in likes and shares. They're never alone with their own thoughts long enough to develop the sort of rich inner life where all of those dreams and ambitions are supposed to live and grow. Now, there may be more to the problem, but there isn't much more to it than that. I don't think there is. We, we got an entire generation addicted to phones practically from birth, and as a result, we destroyed for many of them any hope that they, that they might become successful and well-rounded as people. And along with that, we destroyed civilization as well. But the good news is that um, the aliens are just going to vaporize us anyway. So it's all a moot point. In the meantime, however, Mr. Hare is canceled. And that'll do it for this portion of the show. As we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. And uh, if you want to become a member, you can do that using code Walsh at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.